before we get to Christmas. Krista Wells and Tim Carlos and Dale Baker are all here with us tonight, which is a real gift. If you haven't had a chance to check out our uh, Right for Advent, um, you can get through it through EmmausWay.net or you can go to EmmausWay.bandcamp.com. We'll have time for uh, stations later tonight like we've been doing. And um, I think the kids are going to share some stuff with us at the end of the service.
final week of Advent, which is pretty exciting, believe it or not, for all of you who are still in disbelief. A week from now is Christmas, so get ready. And to get ready here at Emmaus Way, um, we have been lighting the Advent wreath, which is behind me tonight. Um, So as you all probably know, because I've said it every week, Advent is the four-week period leading up to Christmas. We've been lighting a new candle each week, and it's placed in the center of our worship space. So that's the center of what we're doing here each week. Um, We started the first week by lighting the candle of expectation, emphasizing that we live in expectation of an event that has not yet arrived. But we also talked about how we recognize that expectation isn't always a good thing. So the second week, we lit a candle of hope, which clarifies the posture of our expectation here in this space. Um, Since our expectation is for the arrival of Jesus, the one who shows us what God is like and what God's world can be like, we look to that event with hope, and that was our second week. Last week, we lit the candle of illumination, uh, where we celebrated the gift of light and moved from expectation to celebration, More candles on the wreath were lit than unlit for the first time in our four weeks. And we also incorporated a shared Eucharistic meal as an act of hospitality that goes along with illumination. Um, Tonight, we complete the lighting of the Advent wreath by lighting both the fourth candle and the center Christ candle. Um, As the wreath is now fully lit, we emphasize the idea of wholeness and completion and peace. So, given our current political climate, um, we're often tempted to think of peace in a sort of negative sense. 
uh, as the absence of conflict, violence, or war, rather than thinking of it in the positive sense as the presence of harmony, fullness, or rest. Um, while these may be aspects of peace in this negative definition, um, we limit our understanding of peace to sort of a temporary state that's easily shattered when we think of it in this way. Uh, as soon as there's conflict or violence again, then our peace is lost. But tonight, as we light the final candle on the wreath, um, we're faced with a very different reality of peace. Um, peace is not simply the absence of conflict, but rather the presence of the biblical concept of shalom, uh, wholeness, justice, and rest. Peace, in this sense, is not a temporary state, but rather a permanent condition. It's something that can't be lost. And tonight, Dan's going to be leading us through 2 Samuel chapter 7, where we're going to see God's promise of peace for his people. Um, in this passage, we'll see that God not only guarantees us rest from our enemies, but he also promises us a house that is established forever. This is the kind of peace that we're talking about tonight. The fullness and rest that's based on the reality of Emmanuel of God's reality among us. So we now relight the first Advent candle, reminding us of our ongoing expectancy of Jesus' coming. And we relight the second candle of hope, which clarifies the posture of our expectation. We also light the third candle of illumination, declaring that Jesus is the light of the world. And finally, tonight, we light the two final candles of the Advent wreath, and celebrate the coming of Emmanuel, the arrival of a new reality of peace. Hi everybody, I'm Tim, and it's great to be with everybody tonight, this, uh, this fourth week of Advent. I, I should pause and say a couple things real quick. The room is just beautiful tonight, uh, Denise and uh, Mark and Katrina and many, many, many people who've kind of worked in this space. Um, I have incredibly fond memories of Advent um, at Emmaus Way, uh, and usually the way we've done it is with kind of growing light and illumination in the room and just the sense of beauty. I, I was struck last week of just the, the texture in the room, the the, the doorway exhibit here. And so it's, it'll be exciting to kind of do stations one more time to be able to gather in prayer uh, and uh, uh, look at Ian's work over in the corner there. And, um, and Ian, a quick question for you, my friend. Um, I wanted for you to share a little bit of what you're doing there. Would that be better at the end of the evening, or would you like to give us kind of an update now? What would, what would be better based on what you, you're planning to get done tonight? Okay. Fantastic. I, if you haven't watched that work in progress, you have you have missed a real treat. In fact, tonight at the end, we have a couple of things after stations. Uh, we will have uh, Ian share with us a little bit, and then the, the kids are going to come up from the back, and uh, they have something to share with us for a few minutes as well. So uh, we'll have kind of a, the full sense of the, the presence of Emmaus Way. Um, Andrew, by the way, congratulations, my friend. I read that email about an hour ago. So uh, we know you did all the hard work, and uh, the, uh, but we're ecstatic about you guys in the fishbacks. We kind of, the, the, the population growth plan for Mayus Way is uh, definitely, definitely working well here. So, uh, but congratulations to all of our families with, with newborns these last 
couple of weeks. I think uh, I think Asa came by last week at the, the end of the station. It's got a chance to check him out on that. So anyway, thank you for all the work. And Wade, this is just fantastic musically. We've got kind of, uh, I'll quote, um, um, I guess it was, um, I can't forget who said this, but somebody came to church about four or five years ago. It's like the first time here in, uh, in, a, in several a while in small church, and they were listening to music, and they were, their reaction was, this is just really too good for a small church in terms of uh, what you would normally expect, and tonight is really one of those nights where we'll experience that as well. So very excited about it. We get to gather at the end of the stations tonight and, and sing a series of carols and things that I, I think are fantastic. Several who've been on, on uh, our Right 7 ad project. So anyway, thank you, Wade, for your work for that. Um, just a few quick announcements. Uh, a couple changes coming forward for uh, the Christmas season. I want to make sure you remember this. Uh, next weekend, we'll change our schedule. We're not going to meet on Christmas uh, evening as would be um, the typical Sunday evening for us because we have the feeding our friends dinner on on su Sunday morning. Now, a lot of folks will be traveling, but a lot of us, that's been our Christmas tradition is to be a part of the dinner and to kind of hang out there. Uh, Denise, uh, I, tell me if I'm getting this right. Um, if you want to, we're bringing 10 pies. Ten. Five cakes, five pies, and um, we've got the cider, we've got the socks, we've got lots of coats. So thank you everybody for your generosity. And if you want to come Christmas Day, you can email me or just show up sometime between 11 and 2 at um, Antioch Baptist Church. It's 1415 Holloway Street. And we've done multiple strategies. Our family, we've come and we've helped serve. There have been weeks where we've come and just eaten and hung out with people who were there. And then, and then probably one of the most useful things is to come and clean up afterwards as well. And when there's like 10 or 15 people really committed to cleaning up, it just it flies because they serve a lot of meals in that space. They know what they're doing. But uh, if, you're, if you really want to gather with friends here on Christmas Day, it's a great way to do that. In lieu of our normal Sunday evening gathering, we're going to uh, gather on Christmas Eve uh, on, uh, on Sunday night, uh, 5 o'clock, and we are joining All Saints Church, which is pastored by a good friend of ours, uh, uh, Greg, which actually met through Dan. And so um, there's a, there'll be a sign-up on our website as well as in the weekly email if you are available to help with a couple of tasks they have in terms of setup on the 23rd or 24th a, a few things like ushering stuff like that it's going to be a really nice setting it's in a barn and it's a it's their christmas uh, eve tradition they have two worship gatherings i think there's one at five and one at seven thirty or close to that but the information will be on our website so we would love for you to join us for that if you're in town again we know a lot of folks are traveling over the holidays but that's the change and then as we start the New Year. Sunday falls on New Year's Day and uh, as, has kind of been our tradition on holidays uh, when people have family in town and lots of things going on is we typically do a big meal and so we're going to do a chili meal. Uh, I think there's a sign up on our website and, and is that true uh, on the Potluck, there's a potluck sign up on that, and uh, but just bring chili. Um, uh, we'd love to have some vegetarian chili as well as some any type of chili that you want to bring. Um, we will gather in this space for about 20, 25 minutes for uh, a prayer liturgy, like we did on uh, the Fourth of July this year. It will be as low tech as we can be. We'll just bring in enough chairs as to people who are there. Wade's going to have his guitar, but probably no plugs or electricity happening, and it'll just be kind of a, a liturgical 
prayer gathering. Those have been wonderful for our community the last uh, several years as we've made that our tradition. So just remember, changes this next couple weeks. And then um, January 8th, we'll be back in action. I think we're going to be beginning a series for a couple of months or six weeks or so in the book of Amos. So uh, those are the plans coming up. Um, Wanted to pause tonight for just a second and give you a little bit of an update. Dave Eford is going to come in just a second and talk a little bit about kind of the end of the year and end of the year finances. Uh, but um, several things have been happening that I want to make sure you know about. Uh, in fact, this is like a funny thing to check. If you look at the back of your kind of worship guide and look at the staff team, you'll notice like the titles kind of change every week because uh, we're kind of like working out some titles. We've got Dan and Amy set uh, uh, for for cool titles, I think. But uh, but one of the things that the staff team has been doing, uh, and this is, I think, really exciting for us. I don't know if a lot of you haven't been around here long enough to know, but when Emmaus Way started, and it was just a few of us, um, Dave and Elizabeth, um, Denise, uh, this is pre-Wade, pre-Dan, it was just a little group of us. One of the things that I had said was that um, after six or seven years in the life of Mayus Way, I wanted to change my role in the church. One of the things, I've been around uh, founders of communities, and I think it's, it can be intoxicating to be a founder of a community because you, you get your way probably more than you should, and then there's the ability kind of in the second chapter of a life's community to just mess it up because you're the founder. And so one of the things that I had said at the very beginning was that after six or seven years, I would want to change my role somewhat and have a team of people around me that kind of uh, helped really drive and shape that experience with the whole community. Um, also, one of the things that you may not have known is uh, one of my most pleasurable work experiences through the years was that for a few years, I was on a truly egalitarian staff team where everybody had shared roles, uh, um, uh, uh, fair all those things, fair finances, and not this sense of kind of a, there's a person in charge, and there's a, in fact, my first job in a mega church, I was told the very first day, somebody said, here's what your job is. Your job is to make the senior pastor look good. And if what you do makes him look good, you're doing well in your job. If you embarrass him, you're failing in your job. It was pretty clear. I mean, there was not any ambiguities in that. But I remember thinking that and kind of going, you know, if you had inserted like Jesus or Buddha or something, I would have felt better about that statement than, 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 uh, than make him look good. And so even to that day, I was 24 years old, I thought, we're going to do things a little differently if I ever have the chance to do things differently. And I do have the chance to do things differently. And so one of the things that's happened this last year is I had the freedom uh, to go back to school. Uh, and, and started this doctoral program, which I'm ecstatic to do, something that I'd hoped to do when I was 30, but I'm doing when I'm 50. And um, But one of the things that's been really exciting over the last several months is that Dan, Amy, Wade, Jenny, and I have all been kind of dreaming about what would our roles be and how will the church kind of function in those changes. And the other thing that I'm really passionate about is that we have felt like this community would be much better um, served by having a bigger team of people who were bivocational, who brought some life other than just kind of living and working in a church to their kind of 
professional life as a part of this community. And so one of the dreams that we've always had is to have a bivocational staff team. We really started with Wade coming in and owning a studio, and Wade spends about 30 hours a week, if not more sometimes, recording music and working with musicians, and we benefit from their artists. Um, and then uh, Dan came as a doctoral student and was, uh, you know, doing that three or four hours a week or so, you know, just on the side. Uh, but, uh, yes, we had he had that heavy load that he was bringing in, and Amy was finishing her MDiv. But this has been, for me, the year for me to live into that for the very first time and truly be bivocational and, and have a, a life that has kind of a different vocation going. So here's the, the, the kind of the end of all that, is that we've really sat back and thought about what are some roles that make sense in terms of kind of the staff. And we want your feedback on this because everything, as you well know, in an organic community is somewhat fluid. But here's some of the decisions that we've kind of thrown out there is that we'll continue to have the role that Jenny has uh, kind of turned into poetry is a, a lay leader who kind of is the liaison between our lead team and the staff and the idea that when we do a community meeting, Jenny leads that meeting uh, rather than me or someone else because we felt really strongly that we never wanted to professionalize the leadership of a community like ours. Every program that we have, every missional partnership, everything that we do has come out of the community rather than someone saying, hey, if we don't do this, I won't feel really good about my job. And so that role is an important one for us to always have as a, a person who's not being paid, who is not a professional staff person, but is the leader of our community. And Jenny's done an amazing job. I don't know, four years of that? I mean, it's been... It's been a while, and Jenny's done an amazing, amazing job. So that, that role kind of stays as it is. Um, what I'm going to morph into are a couple things that I love a lot, is that I'll still be the one who's kind of shaping the weekly conversation in terms of, I won't do it all the time, but the Sunday evening dialogues is one of the primary functions of my job, as well as, as pastoral care and meeting with people and connecting with people. I, I find that that's probably the most fun part of my job is when I'm having having a, a cup of coffee or lunch or something like that with you, hearing your story, sharing your life with you. And so I hope that even in kind of my change, you will never hesitate to, to put that email out there to say, Tim, could we, could we hang out? Certainly every staff member wants to hear that from you, but I see that as central, as a, a significant part of my job. Um, Wade will continue in his role of art music, aesthetics, your role is basically very, very similar. And it's one that we established early on that we wanted to be there and be the way that that works now. Um, Dan is, uh, I think this is a good title, is, to, is, is kind of our pastor for theological and political life. And so Dan has been for many years our theologian in residence in this community, somebody who brings an incredible um, academic expertise to this community. And so things like our pub group, uh, a lot of kind of the, the philosophical conversations that we have, what Dan has been a starting point to that. He's also been deeply involved, not just with Durham Can, but in terms of the missional life of the community. So Dan is going to really continue to major in that role. Dan, let me give you just a second to edit that in any way. Is, uh, is anything that, that you want to kind of point out? That, and I'll try to do Amy as best I can. Um, I don't know that there's anything I want to add. I mean, I think we're going to try to rethink, uh, not rethink, but we're going to try to find ways to allow uh, those of you uh, in this community to kind of, uh, who are already doing this in a lot of ways, but to kind of shape 
the mission of our church and try to be more intentional about how we uh, incorporate others into that uh, via some of our small groups and linking some of them together and different things like that. So we'll talk more about it at Ecclesia meeting uh, in the future, but uh, it's one of the things that I think um, I'm really interested Dan and I and a couple friends over at Duke and uh, Greg at All Saints and others have been thinking a lot about what it means to link our community with other communities that have a, a neighborhood and a community approach to ministry. And Dan has been working tirelessly on that, so you'll you'll hear more about that. Um, so Amy is our kind of our latest kind of newest staff person, and uh, she has taken on a role that I think is going to be absolutely fantastic. Is that in some ways she's taken on the Sunday night gathering experience and that's very multifaceted in terms of the the children in the back uh, Amy is not the person who does that but she's the pastoral contact and the liaison to that so for example if you had a question or somebody had a question about what goes on with kids and we have two or three people that 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 are uh, staff people that we pay that that work in that area but Amy is the leader of that area but she's also going to take on the role of kind of the Sunday evening worship gathering uh, because we felt like it wasn't Dan's and my love to be the orchestrator of that, and, and Wade's ticket was already very, very full. So, for example, if you have something, uh, like Jim, I think we're going to do uh, some kind of, uh, some, some, you know, like partnerships, like Africa Rising and Julie with Reality Ministries. We want to keep kind of talking about those things. But if you have something, a story, things that you feel like needs to be part of a worship gathering, Amy kind of provides a centralized point to that. And so she's going to be in some ways the the architect of, of Sunday evenings. Um, and, and in addition to that, one of the things that we're really excited about developing this year is more creative liturgy. Like, for example, this Advent and several of the last, I mean, have been some of the most powerful weeks that we've done, where we have opportunities for contemplative prayer, where we have art being made in the room, where we have a kind of a, a visual, three-dimensional, beautiful opportunity for people to reflect. And we want to do more of that in our worship gatherings in terms of being... Uh, physical in our worship, contemplative in our worship, missional in our worship. And so Amy's going to step into a role of kind of a creative liturgist for us to not only coordinate that, but help us to be more thoughtful and creative in relating to that. And so um, and so that role of kind of being a uh, leader of the team of leaders in terms of coordinating our staff life together, as well as Sunday evenings, is a, a significant portion of our life. And the way we've kind of parceled that out is that I'm going to be kind of working roughly 30 hours a week, um, Dan, Amy, and Wade roughly 20 hours a week, and you know what that means, there'll be weeks there's 40 hours, there'll be weeks it's you know three or four hours, so to speak, but we're very excited. When we sat, we had a retreat together to kind of sketch this out, and at the end of this, we had it on you know sticky notes all over um, uh, Amy's uh, kitchen, and I thought, you know what, this is going to be absolutely beautiful. I mean, this is going to be something that's absolutely significant to the future life of this community. And I hope you'll keep dreaming with us in terms of the idea of dreaming how our community works together. There should always be a tension in our community between the staff people and the community itself. We should always be leading you, and we should always be responding to you and reacting to you as well. And that's kind of the tension in the life of Emmaus Way. So I'm sure we'll be working that out. One of my roles as well, besides kind of the, the dialogue and pastoral care, will be, as I like to say, being the old person that makes sure that we keep continuing to be friends. And so my life in terms of kind of making sure our staff team is our friends. And I will say this, and this is perhaps the saddest thing I think I could ever say about ministry for me. 
I have been a pastor in three churches, uh, this one and two others. And until I was on this team, I'd never been in a pastoral team of people who were friends. Uh, I mean, there were people that worked together, and you know, you might come to a good, you know, academic department where they say we're not best friends, but we work well together. But I don't know that I've ever been a part of a community of leaders that would really say, "No, we, we've had dinner at each other's houses. We like each other. We know the names of each other's kids. We know the names of each other's dogs. We we know uh, what's going on." And so that's one of the things that's really special in terms of the life of Emmaus Way. And I hope that as we move forward in some of the things that we have, things that Dan's talking about with mission or text team or um, pub group or uh, our our missional life groups, I hope that you feel really invited into those places because when I sit up here and do the dialogue, or Dan does. It, it's not just me talking. It's Hannah and Josh and uh, Amy and Dan and Wade and everybody who's a part of the text worship conversation. Your presence matters to this community a lot. So we're excited about that going forward. Uh, Dave, I think you were going to give us a quick update, and then, and then Dan is going to um, help us understand every jot and tittle of 2 Samuel. <laughs> and I'll make this really fast, too. Um, but I wanted to give a quick, I guess, uh, close to year-end financial update. As of last week, we have brought in $90,581, which is a lot of money. So thanks to everyone. That's, that's tremendous. We're really excited about that, and that's very close to our projected income this year. We predicted that we'd bring in $95,500, so about $5,000 off, and we've still got you know, a couple weeks to go. And we typically have very good Novembers and Decembers, so we expect that we'll get there. Um, in light of what Tim was saying, though, I wanted to say that, that actually we're hoping this year that we'll actually bring in $100,000, um, and that would set us in good stead for next year. Due to the changes in the pastoral staff and, and Amy and Dan working more hours uh, than they have this year and what we're going to expect of them next year, uh, it's going to be important that we pay them a little bit more, and, and um, hopefully one day we'll be able to pay them what we think that they're worth. Um, but we've had to make some, some pretty tough cuts this year, but also some exciting increases in, in salary for those two folks. Um, and we've got a draft budget put together uh, for next year. Chelsea's got, I think, a bunch of copies. So the budget folks, me and Chelsea and Jenny, um, Phil and Dave Thiessen, wherever he is, will be around uh, after if you guys want to talk about it, uh, discuss it, if you want details. I won't give everybody all the details now because most people don't care, but we are going to ask you guys to vote on this in January. And we're going to have a meeting, um, the Ecclesia meeting, where we're going to present the budget and everybody who considers themselves to be a part of the community is going to vote and actually approve this. So if you want to get a look at it now, you can. It's still a draft form. We'll circulate the final version once we get the final numbers um, from the end of this year. So did I leave anything out? Okay, that's it. I wanted to keep it short. Thanks, guys. Sorry about interrupting the regular work. Dave, you might want to emphasize as well that a lot of times the budget we craft for the next year is highly related to the yeah. giving that we have so that we're not speculating. Something that's that's right. It is. And one of the critical reasons, and I did leave this out, I mean, we do hope to bring in $100,000 by the end of this year, as Tim said, because we try not to be too overly aggressive and say, oh, we brought in, you know, $75,000 one year, so next year we'll double that to hundred fifty. We want to keep it pretty consistent so that we don't get into a crunch at the end of the year when we are having to pay people's salaries. And also, we like to keep, uh, you know, a little bit of cash on hand so that we can continue to pay salaries and rent and stuff over the summer months when we don't have a lot of giving as our giving tends to increase at the end of the year. Thanks. 
Well, we're going to transition into our conversation for tonight. Um, we're going to move fairly quickly. As you can see, we've got a lot going on. Um, in order to start us off, um, Travis is going to read the passage for us tonight. It's on your handout. Uh, we're going to be reading in 2 Samuel uh, chapter 7, verses 1 through 11 and then 16. So if you'll join us, I know you've just heard a lot, but we're going to work through this passage together uh, in this Advent season, fourth week of Advent, um, and see what the Word has to say to us. Now when the king was settled in his house, and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies around him, the king said to the prophet Nathan, See now, I am living in a house of cedar, but the ark of God stays in the tent. Nathan said to the king, Go, do all that you have in mind, for the Lord is with you. But that same night the word of the Lord came to Nathan. Go and tell my servant David, Thus says the Lord, Are you the one to build me a house to live in? I have not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day. But I have been moving about in the tent of the tabernacle. Wherever I have moved among all the people of Israel, did I ever speak a word with any of the tribal leaders of Israel, whom I commanded to shepherd my people of Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, be prince over my people Israel. And I've been with you wherever you went, and have cut off all your enemies from before you, and will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and I will plant them, so that they may live in their own place, and be disturbed no more. And evildoers shall afflict them no more, as formerly, from the time that I have judges over my people Israel. And I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. Your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. All Clark wants is a quiet, old-fashioned Christmas. What Clark gets instead is the gift that just keeps on living. His family. That's the opening line to a trailer of a movie that I love to watch every year at this time. Many of you will be familiar with it. It's the Griswold family Christmas, the Lampoon's vacation, where instead of trekking around the U.S., the Griswold family decides that they're going to host the Christmas gathering this year. That they begin to make the preparations to bring in all of the people that they care about and to have a wonderful Christmas. They go and they pick out a wonderful tree that, though large, seems to fill the room with a, a, a lot of energy and, and warmth. Clark Griswold decides that he's going to emblazon his house with about 25,000 light bulbs to show his spirit for the year. That he's going to make and create a wonderful Christmas for his family and for the people who are gathering in his home. And like most of our families, it's a mixture of disaster and good devotion, a bit of chaos, consternation, and a little bit of charity. His in-laws and his parents pester him to death. 
Nothing seems to go according to plan. His crazy cousin Eddie shows up with his family out of the blue and imposes upon them. And Clark's hope to give his family a wonderful gift is impeded by the fact that his boss has decided to be cheap and not give him a bonus. He discovers that his attempt to create the perfect Christmas keeps running into the people who are screwing it up. His family. People that he cares about. No matter how much he's prepared, and no matter how much he may want it, he just can't quite fill his home with the quiet, old-fashioned Christmas. Well, it's that time of year again when we, like Clark Griswold, are reminded that Christmas is both a time of joy and exasperation. We're right on the edge of its imminent arrival. We've prepared. And a lot of us are either excited or maybe a bit anxious about the coming Christmas day. Because we know Christmas is not going to exactly give us what we want. As much as we'd like to, we can't quite make the day arrive the way we want it. We can't know for sure that we're going to have a perfect Christmas this year. Those of us who hate the day, and I do think there are some of us who really hate the day, we can't stop the stupid commercials and the songs on the radio. We can't stop the annoying TV specials, which only intensify the loneliness that we feel throughout the whole of the year. And those of us who are trying to make our homes perfect often find it so frustrating that things will just not go according to plan. The lights won't work. The family won't cooperate and get along. And I think in this anxiety and excitement, most of us will spend the next week running around trying to accomplish all the odds and ends and details of getting a Christmas together. But we'll do so sometimes in order to make it come the way we want. And when we know we can't do that, we fill our lives with something we know how to do, which is just be more busy. We may try to miss the day, or we may try to overcreate the day by simply running around in craziness and busyness, thinking that we can accomplish these tasks by simply doing more. Simply with our energy, we can maybe accomplish it. Now, you see, David in our passage, I don't think is all that different from us. I think David, in fact, might be even a little bit more ADD than you and me. I mean, he's a warrior. Know any good warriors that sleep till noon? There aren't a lot of them out there. He spent his whole life on the run. And while it might be nice for him to kick back in his recliner and watch a little boob tube for a little while, 
He's ultimately not satisfied with that. It's a bit unsettling for him. He's not good at relaxation, at waiting, and at rest. As I said, he's a warrior. Think of Achilles. Think of the great Steven Seagal. Those guys don't rest a lot. They sleep with one eye open. Furthermore, if we were to read a few chapters later, we would see exactly what happens when David gets bored. It's not a good sight. He's committing adultery with another man's wife and then killing the guy to cover his tracks. David's not a good waiter and rester. So here in the passage, when David is given rest from his enemies, when he's finally been made king of Israel, when he's brought the Ark of the Covenant back into the heart of the people, and he's established a palace in Jerusalem, in that rest, David then has what he thinks is a great idea. He decides that he's going to build a house for God. One that looks just like his own house. He wants to build a temple. A temple near the palace and establish God's presence in the city. It's kind of like he and Tim Tebow can be with God as a great duo. It'll be the perfect match, right? An old-fashioned, perfect, strong dynasty. A royal house for everyone to see. And the soundtrack will probably be something like Josh Turner's Me and God. David and God will do it together. Now it's not a bad idea that David has here, wanting to build a house for God. It's just not God's plan. You see, God here in the passage seems to be a bit too nimble a bit too agile for a house. God prefers the lightness of a tent instead. God prefers to remain a temporary building, a makeshift residence, as opposed to a house of cedar. Now, I don't think this is because God likes camping. I don't know, God may. And I don't think it's because God wants to present God's self as an outdoorsman. But I think it has something to do with the fact that God's resisting David's impulse to reverse their roles. You see, David seems to recognize that God has finally put him in the palace. And he thinks here in the passage that he might return the favor. Right? I mean, it's, it's kind of a pay-to-play deal going on here, a little quid pro quo, if you will. After all, isn't that what politics and family are usually about? You do for me, and then I do for you. That's the way it works. That's how we maintain peace. But the thing is, God doesn't work that way here. You see, God maintains a bit of freedom. Because having given David the throne... God's now resistant to the terms that David wants to put on the relationship. God's a bit resistant 
to having the terms of God's relationship with his people dictated through a king. You see, a king was always a bit of a sore spot in the life of the history of Israel. Their desire for a king, the desire to be like all the other peoples that surrounded them, and to not let Yahweh remain as their king, was something that continually plagued this people. They were always being corrupted by their politicians and their leaders who were leading them astray. And here it seems that God is not exactly settled with the idea of that type of relationship. God doesn't want the people to get confused. God is with them and has given David the throne. But for now, God wants to stay in a tent. Not, re- not yet ready to settle into temple life. Turns out God, in this passage, is just not ready for an old-fashioned home life. God won't let David domesticate him. Because God wants to remain on the move. God wants to remain on the outskirts of town. Now, what's all this got to do with Christmas, right? I mean, why are we, the week before Christmas comes, looking at some ancient passage from 2 Samuel and talking about building God a temple? Why in the world would we be in 2 Samuel the week before the Christ child arrives? It seems to me that part of the answer to this It's because in this story, we see the way in which God will continue to interact with his people and with God's children. We see here a snippet of how God relates to to the world. You see, David here thinks he's going to build a house for God. But in turn, what happens by the end of the passage is that God reminds David that he's going to, in fact, Build for him a legacy, a lasting house, that is, a lineage. You see, God here promises David not simply a palace, but a place in God's history. That is, a place in God's redemptive plan. Not because the buildings that David built or the kingdom that he built will never be destroyed, but because God will maintain God's relationship with Israel, with the people that David rules. That God will bring God's salvation into the world through this particular people. When people look back, they won't trace the work of God in the world through the great and glorious accomplishments of this people. They're not going to trace it in the many battles that David won. They're not going to trace it in the, the wonderful philosophies that are developed by Hebrew scribes and teachers or by their scientific developments, their military genius, or their unrelenting bravery. They're not going to trace it in their brilliant architecture or in their renowned beauty. Instead, future people will look back 
and say only that the history has been made possible because God promised to relate and to live with this people. They're the people through which God promises to bring salvation, not just to them, but to the whole of creation. It's not because they're perfect and not because they can provide a perfect home for God, but simply because God has promised that God will never leave them. Because God has promised to be with them. You see, while David here wants to talk about buildings and monuments, God turns back to David and promises something different. God turns back to David and promises a Messiah. God promises a son in whom the full presence of God will be made known and in whom God will fully enter into human history and existence. God promises David not one, not a single one magnificent building. God promises him, however, to be part of the history of God's restoration of the world, the establishment of a new type of throne forever. God promises David that through him and in him and through this people, God will begin to work God's marvelous recreation and reclaiming of God's world. Now, let me ask you a question real quick. We don't have long to do this, so we're not going to spend a long time here. But if you were, going, if you were God, put yourself in that's not a very good place to be most of the time. But if you were God, how would you go about doing this? How would you go about making the world different? How would you go about entering into human history and making things different? What would that story look like? You don't have to get long into the pages of Genesis before you're like, oh boy, this is a bad idea. Let's, 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 you know, change the game. Let's rewrite the rules. Something different. Yeah. Yeah. I think I'd do a little revenge and start over. <laughs> I kind of like the ta-da, something maybe a little more flashy or, you know. Yeah. I mean, come on. You would think it would be a little bit more spectacular, you know. I mean, something a little bit more marvelous, something that catches the attention a little bit more shiny, you know, something a little bit more glorious. I think David's similar to that here. And I think me, like David, would probably do something similar. I mean, I'd probably start with a nice, strong, very elite family. I don't know, maybe a Bradgelina or a Beyonce and Jay-Z. I would kind of pick these type of people. And then I'd look for their most impressive child, right? Maybe somebody who's athletic or quick-witted, somebody who has natural gifts and leadership, somebody who really can, you know, shake things up a bit. 
I think I'd look for someone who, uh, who is maybe quality of Ivy League. Somebody who I would give every possible opportunity to. Someone who, we, who has great ability to know and to learn. Someone who can, who can articulate themselves well. Who can talk to people. And really have a huge effect on them. And I think I'd surround this person with brilliant teachers. And with people who have access to power to make things happen. I'd probably put this child in a royal town, or, or at least some elite town, right? And let them come up in the best schools. And with a huge network of people to connect to. But that's not how God chooses to tent among us. When the word becomes flesh, as John tells us, and tents among us, God's grace is made available, not in a massive display of God's power and royalty, but instead in a meek and lowly child, Jesus. God enters into human history and human existence, not at the top of the ladder, but in the vulnerability of a poor and fragile baby. Once again, God's movement in the world just won't be domesticated into what we want it to be. It won't be made safe the way we would like to do it. In fact, the coming of the Christ child next week is probably going to sneak up on most of us. It's likely to catch us off guard because we'll find that Christ child in a place where we normally wouldn't think to look for him and in a role we never would have assigned to him. Moving out on the outskirts of town, on the margins of the empire, in the most vulnerable and fragile of places, God's going to remind us that we are not the ones who can put history together. Even as we move toward Christmas this week, we'll remember that God is not going to be domesticated into the presentations of Christmas that we normally see and that our culture creates for us. But that we'll have to watch and wait for a God who's moving in God's own unique way to make history. A God who's moving into vulnerable places, into fragile places, into places that are not safe, into places that are not perfect. That God hides and works in the nooks and crannies of our lives and of our world. Places that we didn't even know were there. You see, the good news is coming this week. <coughs> to you that are lonely, Wait upon the Lord's promise to be with us because you will meet that promise this week in the form of a vulnerable and lonely child. Those of you that are struggling with pain and despair, watch for God this week because he's going to catch you off guard. To those of you who are healthy, wealthy, and wise, you might need to stop and rest 
even more intensely this week. Because the story of God's work is going to call you into something better than you can possibly make. And to those of you who have been waiting and preparing, to those of you who have been working hard through this Advent season, the time is near. The fullness of God's work is just now out of our sight. Salvation is present in the Christ child. Not because we find some simple moral about giving and receiving and about how you're supposed to give before you get, but because God is about to enter into human history. God is going to begin to make all things new. God is going to begin to build homes of peace for you and for me. This week, we will be given the gift that is worth living for. And it will be more than we possibly could have thought. Soon God will make God's home among us. And as we remember that God has done this, we'll know that God has made a home for us in God's life. And this, during this last week of Advent, is the substance of our hope. That God is drawing us into God's life. That we, waiting on the home that God will prepare, are the people who are drawn into that. Not because we're perfect and not because we can make it and certainly not because we're busy. But because God has promised to be with us. In a moment, we are going to move on to our stations. Uh, this is something we've been doing throughout Advent. Uh, there will be a prayer station in the back here for you, those of you that want to meditate and to pray. Uh, you can continue to interact with the photographs and the doors up on the stage uh, that display to us an image of hope during Advent. That as you look at the photographs, as you watch uh, the snapshot of the movie here, that you will be reflecting on and thinking about the possibility of doors in our lives, the doors that God places before us and the ones that God opens to us to be instruments of God's hope in the world. And the photographs that Mark and Katrina have put together uh, can be an exercise for you to draw you into that. Also, if you want to interact with Ian in the back, uh, checking out what he's drawing and the images that he's uh, working through to talk about hope and talk about despair in our world. Uh, that's a wonderful way to interact with the themes of Advent and thinking about how we prepare, how we hope, how we expect, and how we look for a God who becomes present in the way that we might not normally think. And then also, I invite all of you to the, to the Eucharist table. That here at the Eucharist table where we break bread for one another, saying the body of Christ broken for you and pouring wine or juice for one another, saying the blood of Christ shed for you, we engage in an act where we find God present. Not because we've made God present, not because there's some hocus pocus that we can do that will all of a sudden make God live here, but because God has promised to be there. God has promised to meet us there. And God has promised to offer us 
grace as we partake of it. So I invite you now to the Advent stations. I'm going to read in closing here the prayer for this fourth Sunday of Advent. And then you'll be welcome to join the stations. Please pray with me. We beseech you, Almighty God, to purify our consciences by, this daily, by the daily visitation that when thy Son, our Lord, cometh, he may find in us a mansion prepared for himself. Through the same Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Welcome to the Advent Stations. We're going to go ahead in the interest of time uh, and do some songs for you guys. And so feel free to move around and um, enjoy the different places in the room and also take your lyrics with you if you'd like to sing along. You can also hear these songs on our Advent Project. Um, first song is uh, called The Magnificat, or Holy is His Name, and it's the words of Mary. We do another version, Canticle of the Turning, which is just uh, the Irish version of uh, these words. So it's really um, God's hope, as Dan was describing, for the poor, for people who are having a hard time. And the way he wants to have us partner with him in bringing his kingdom for when he comes, for when he returns.
everybody. If you have had a chance to have communion, um, we would love to call you back to the circle. Now, this is kind of a compressed time. We're going to have the kids coming in. And one of the things we wanted to do tonight was sing together. So um, if you would, uh, grab your lyric sheet, grab some of those the fudge and those might even be cupcakes over there, but uh, let's regather in the circle here. Uh, uh, Wade's going to lead us uh, in a couple more songs, which we're excited about doing together. We'll get a chance to sing together as well as be prepared for, uh, we want to hear from Ian as well as the kids tonight. So uh, anyway, so rejoin us in the circle if you can. If you haven't heard our uh, Advent project, um, you might not know this song, um, although it's a very old English song, the Wexford Carol and... Um, there's some really beautiful versions out there besides the one that uh, is on the project. Um, there's a really beautiful Alison Krauss and uh, Yo-Yo Ma version. So uh, anyway, um, we had a really great time uh, all together with... Um, Everybody got together. Uh, Sarah, was, uh, who lit the Advent candle tonight, was playing flute, and um, Dr. Holly joined us on cello. And um, anyway, uh, certainly check it out if you have a chance. But um, it's a it's a melody that repeats over and over again and tells this familiar story. But I think um, again, it's uh, a great reminder of the fact that this uh, journey, this story, is not a story, as Dan said, of. Um, power, a story of uh, fame, but a, a really lowly story. And I think that's here in this beautiful melody of the Wexford Carol.
I mentioned um, in the writing that we did last year for the Advent Project that the tradition of caroling is mostly an English tradition, um, and, and it's an older one, but it, it always stemmed from this idea of raising money for the poor, that really the whole idea of, of going out and caroling had to do with um, trying to say, you know, this idea of us as Christians is that we want to care for the people um, that are having a rough time, and so I think when you um, see this next song, God Rest You Merry Gentlemen, it can seem a little bit formal language-wise for us. We don't tend to talk like this. Um, so um, the uh, hope that people would bring when they were also trying to say, you know, we need to help the people around us that are having a harder time is because that's really the message from the Old Testament. It's the message of the gospel. When Jesus came healing, when he came talking about the fact that he uh, was friends with people that weren't necessarily good Jews or even people who are seen as helpful to society, it's because he was saying, I'm making things new. And so uh, singing this song with that in mind, God rest you, Mary Gentlemen. God rest you, Mary Gentlemen, let nothing you dismay. Remember Christ our Savior was born on Christmas Day. To save us all from Satan's power when we were gone astray. Tidings of comfort and joy, comfort and joy. Tidings of comfort and joy. From God our Heavenly Father, the blessed angel To certain shepherds wrought tidings of the same How that in Bethlehem was born the Son of God by name Oh, tidings of comfort and joy, comfort and joy Face. 
Tim, it's so good to have you with us tonight. Krista, you're, I mean, it's just a delight when you guys are, are with us. Hey, I wanted to invite Ian, and Ian might need a couple of buddies over in his corner of the room. If, if somebody would be over, able to hold his, uh, his, um, his drawings, that would be helpful. And I don't know, some of you guys did not have the pleasure of the very first years of Emmaus Way. When How old was Ian when you guys when we got this deal going? Maybe like an eighth grader, seventh grader, sixth grader? Middle school, Ian used to, to draw, paint, use our art table every Sunday night, and the work that he would do was absolutely fantastic. And so we've been begging him uh, uh, to do this again. And, and Ian, you are to be thanked because you are a college student. Ian is at, at North Carolina State's uh, School of Design, and so he started this during finals. Uh, but if you would, share a little bit of your work with us, and we, we'd love to hear what you've been working on through, through Advent with our community. You want to come up to the middle here where it would be easier for you to, and I can hold this mic for you if you want me to, if you want to or I can hold your, uh, your drawing. Yeah, and Ian, when we talked too, um, you know, we talked about the fact that um, for a lot of people talking about hope is, is oftentimes a conversation too about talking about where they can't hope or why hope is difficult. So can you also elaborate on how that played into your work sure yeah um this this first piece that i did was more of a focus on the lack of hope the kind of how one feels during despair and the the sense of entanglement and really no escape or sense of escape um so it's a it's a figure on a riverbank being entangled in a giant serpent lazily um and then this is the the sequel i guess the the other part of the conversation where it's that that moment when you you finally make it out of the woods with your your best friend, um, and so that's that's the moment of hope where where you, there, it's behind you and there's still something ahead, but it's not nearly as bad. Yeah, and you were talking too with me um, when you were first working on this one uh, that you're holding um, about the fact that for you sometimes schedule is that thing that just feels like there's no hope. It feels like there's sometimes where it's like I'll never get out of this. Mm -hmm. And um, um, how how would you say that the two drawings and working on them? differed for you? I mean, I know you spent more time on that, but, you know, is it easier sometimes to describe artistically some place where there's not hope, or is it easier to describe a place where there feels like there is hope? Honestly, it depends on the place that I'm in at the moment. Yeah. Because um, for, for some people, I think 
their, their expression of art is more of what they want to be feeling. Um, I tend to do more of what I'm feeling at the moment. Um, and so this one felt appropriate at the moment. It wasn't too hard to do because now that I'm home and away from school and away from finals and I finally get to see my dog again, <laughs> I, it seemed appropriate. Yeah. Well, thank you. We're really grateful that you'd spend time doing that and we're, we're hopeful that we can uh, lean on you again to, to sure. use your hands and continue to interpret for us. That's another thing we want to invite you guys to. We're going to have this table around more as we continue forward. And for those of you who like to work with your hands, we'd really love it if you guys would join in or bring stuff for, to work on yourself. So thanks, Ian, for doing that. Yeah, no problem. I want to say thank you. Thank you, Ian. Ian is so talented, and that is something we, for those of you who are kind of uh, physical worshipers, please bring projects in to work. We'll make sure there's space for you, and Ian is incredibly gifted. We were told, you know, we're just talking about Right 7 or Ian's work. One of the things that we were told when we were pretty young, we were asking about buying art and patronizing art, and one of our friends said to us, uh, who was a bit older, said, you know, the best thing you can do is buy the work of people that you know. And so one of the things that we, I would we want to have in in a, a week or two, you know next a week or so um, in the next year is to make sure that you have the opportunity to buy Krista's music or uh, or Tim's music or Dale or Wade or some of our artists. So Ian, we're waiting for you to have a show so that we can, as a community, we can. Uh, we asked him about this last week, and you said you haven't really created the full portfolio yet to do that. But uh, but your art is something that uh, I think a lot of us would deeply like to know more about and to see more and um, Ian is now a, if I have this right you're a junior at the at the school design at state so he's got several more years of, of making art and I've always had this envision of Ian that he'll be doing something someday and I'll I'll run up to him and say yeah I know you and he'll, he'll kind of scratch his head and look at me with that look like yeah you might have known me at some point in time. <laughs> but but we love Ian he's a fantastic uh, a fantastic person and I'm wondering um, would somebody do me a favor and uh, check on our kiddos and just see if they are they're due in here? Uh, we'll make sure that's going to happen. I hate for us to exit on them. We're, we're, we're just like one or two minutes over, so we're okay. Yeah, can I also just say again, I just want to thank um, Mark and Katrina for their project. I mean, if you guys haven't had a chance to check that out, um, uh, just before you go, please do that. Um, they've had it up for these last several weeks, but that's been a tremendous amount of work. They did the developing. They you know, got all the printing done. They um, found the doors. They... Um, did the lighting and um, we're going to hope uh, to have more projects that are like that around the room um, uh, we're going to especially try to do that more around Easter but we're going to try to have more station uh, time as Tim was mentioning earlier but um, it takes a tremendous amount of effort to do that and uh, Mark, Mark's not feeling well this week so he had not help but um, they've really come early, stayed late, done a ton of work so just want to say thank you again to those guys a ton for their work Fantastic. and I think we have short people Coming in, we'll let uh, Tara. Would you like the the microphone? Our imperial leader here. <laughs> Evening, everyone. Oh, it's kind of loud. I love to talk, so this is great. All right. So, um, on behalf of the Emmaus Way Youth, we have a short skit that we'd like to perform. They're really excited. Um, let me give the disclaimer that this uh, stage play was written, produced, edited, everything, costumes, light design, everything. They did it all themselves, so we're really excited to see what they have. And the title of this work is The Nativity of Jesus Christ, a Comedy. Okay. <laughs> all right, so you all want to get in position? You ready? Get in position.
All right. <clears throat> so, once upon a time, there was a young virgin named Mary. And one night while she was fast asleep, she had a certain visitor. startled and confused, but the angel tried to comfort her. <laughs> okay. All right, and the angel disappeared. <laughs> okay. All right. So a short time later, um, Emperor Augustus made a decree that everyone had to return to their hometown to be counted for a census. So Mary and her um, husband, or future husband, Joseph, had to go to his hometown of Bethlehem. So they saddled up and left Nazareth, headed to Bethlehem. However, once they arrived at Bethlehem, they had a little bit of trouble. And no luck in the first inn. So they traveled down this ro the road more to a second inn. And no luck yet. And they tried again to the third end. <laughs> and they traveled all day. And eventually they came to the very last end on the street. So Mary and Joseph were forced to spend the night in a barn among barn animals. And a short time later, Mary miraculously gave birth to her son who became Jesus the Christ. Ta-da! <laughs> uh -huh. And the star of David was shown about him. Okay, so uh, around that same time, there were some shepherdess in a field tending to their sheep. And from what I hear, a couple horses too. And an angel appeared unto them. <laughs> and they were frightened. Really, really frightened. <laughs> and this happened for so long. <laughs> but eventually, eventually the angel was able to talk to the shepherdess. So they hurried off to go visit the baby Jesus, led by the star of David, or Bethlehem. And once they got there, they were very excited and decided to tell the whole world, everyone they knew, about the birth of Jesus. And um, the end. All right. Are you guys going to take a bow? Are you guys going to take a bow? Thank you.
thanks to all the parents and all those who've been helping me out. We really appreciate it. We've had a great, um, well, I've been here six months, so we've had a great half a year. All right, we're excited for 2012. And before you leave, be sure to get a small token of gift that we have for each of the families here tonight, okay? Thanks, guys, and uh, go in God's peace tonight.